Thank you for listening to the Renovate Life Church of God's broadcast. Here's today's message from our pastor, James Demmel. Let me read what the Levite was in the Jewish temple. A member of the Hebrew tribe of Levi, especially of the part of which provided assistance to the priest or the preacher in the worship, in the duties, and in the ceremony in the Jewish temple, along with delegating tasks to make the temple better. Sounds like leadership to me. So he's walking along. First of all, let me, let me delve into what leadership is real quick. They help with the worship, the ushers, the devotionalists, the praise team. They help with the duties the Levites do, cleaning, helping people in need, doing daily tasks. They help with ceremonies, weddings, maybe funerals. Any church problem that was put on their plate. The Bible says that the Levi, Levite, walked by. Maybe his name was Levi. He began to walk by. And the Bible says that he did the same thing that the pastor did. Now, you know what's odd about the pastor to me? What's odd about the pastor is why would the pastor be walking down the road? Probably because the church was right around the corner. You ain't seen no fat pastors walking four or five miles to get to church, have you? So this man got robbed right around the corner from the church. From the people that were supposed to protect him. From the people that were supposed to take care of him. But that's not all. The Bible says that the leadership walks by. The Levite. And the Bible says that this man walks up and he does the same identical thing as his pastor. What's that mean? Whatever you're being taught to do, you'll do. And he says, oh, wait a minute. I hope he didn't see me. I'm going this way. And he goes to the other side of the road. But he has a different mindset than the pastor because he says, I'm on my way to help people. I, I don't have time to take care of him. I've got so much on my place. Someone will come by to take care of this man. It's not going to be me. So he slips on by. And then the Bible says, in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, this is a great understanding. Because Jesus Christ picks out the worthless wretch of a nation. The Samaritan, was, was he had intermingled. It was a man of one race and a woman of another race. And the Bible acted like that they were trash. But this Samaritan man, he'd been taught a little different than the priest in leadership. He comes rolling by and the Bible says, But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. You ready for this? Jesus is finished with the story after he tells. Every man knowing that the Samaritan is trash. He's worthless. We don't want none of them. They're half-breeds. 
Jesus finishes, and then in verse 36, he lays the axe down real slick and sweet, like a scalpel, because that's how the Lord is. And he says, which one now, which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? He asked the slick tongued snake lawyer, which of you, which of these three would you call a neighbor? Out of these three, which one proved to be a neighbor? So he asked his question, the Lord does, ways to politicians' heart, ask a question with a question. Right? Or answer a question with a question. He says, which of these became a neighbor? He takes all the technicality out of it. Well, pastor, I, I still don't understand what you mean. If you don't pair verse 36 carefully... With verse 29, you missed the whole thing. So I'm going to read it to you again. But he willingly to justify himself, this is the lawyer, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus says, Which one of the three do you think was neighborly to him that fell under, unto thieves? The lawyer wants to get technical in verse 29. Jesus wants to take all the technicality out of your godly living. So he expresses it in a way that shows the difference in the mindset of the believer and the unbeliever. The unbeliever wants to say, well, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Yes, I am. Thank you for the name. The, the, the unbeliever wants to say, I can't go down there to that church because they're not my religion. The, the unbeliever wants to have an excuse. He wants to read the fine print. He wants to, you lay it out for me exactly the way it should be. But Jesus Christ stops him in all of that and says, listen. I'm a wretched. The Christ wasn't, but he knew that we would be. I'm a wretched, worthless being. But because I have been bought by the blood of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I am deemed worthy as an heir to heaven. And I can stand on the throne. I can stand in mediation. And I'm here to declare to you that it's not the man that lives three doors down. It's not the man that lives in another state. It is the man that, listen, wants to protect the man that is taken under thieves. He said, if you become that, then you're neighborly. Amen. Why do we put so many technicalities on Christ? Why don't we read the book, believe the book, and follow the book? Amen. It should be the encyclopedia of your living. You shouldn't have to come to church every Sunday wondering, well, what is the pastor going to stick me with today? You should be excited to express your worship, your faith, and your believing in Jesus Christ. It's not a book of rules. It's a book of relationship. Well, Pastor, I can't find anyone to serve. I, I, I can't. No one's coming to my house. I don't live next to the widow. I don't live next to the orphan house. I live in a good, a good community. So I don't have anybody to help. 
What Jesus was literally saying was, when you prepare yourself to be a servant, to be a disciple, I will send the lost, the broken, the weak, the weary, the stray your way. And when your heart is right, you will be able to serve them. And the greatest thing that you can be is a servant that requires nothing back from them. Well, I don't like that kind of talk. Don't get mad at me. Read the Bible. God will allow you to cross their path to supply their need. Amen? And the need is always just around the corner. Point number two from the story. I went to preach at a church. I love to do that, but I'm a pastor. So here's the thing, I, I went on a, a it was a five-week trip, wasn't it? I had 18 engagements in five weeks. And I thought, man, this is going to be great. Before I became a pastor, Mark, I, I would go, I went to several places, and it was, the, the ministry was really picking up for me, and I, and I thought all these things would happen for me, and then they came in and said, you want to be a pastor? I'm like, sure. Right? And so I took this five-week stint, all these engagements, preaching all these revivals all over the place, and I realized I was neglecting the church. But I was at this one location. They had a green room. Well, you know you're big time if you got a green room. But why is the, green, the room never green? I went and sat down in the green room. The air conditioner was broken. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but I have on the platform lately. Aren't you glad it's cool in here today? Thank you, Jesus. I was sitting there sweating probably about like I am now. They had fresh fruit over on the table. Now, why they got pastor's fresh fruit and not pizza, I don't know. But they had bananas and they had apples and they had oranges and they had, they had fruit open. They had watermelon cut up in chunks and, and, you know, they were just trying to serve us and they had a bunch of water and, and they had seltzer water or something. Never drank the stuff in my life. It looked weird. And then they had some, you know, some cups of pop and different things over in the corner. But it was so hot in there that it brought the gnats out. They're trying to serve me and bless me. And all I can think about is gnats flying around my head while I'm trying to get ready. About five minutes. It was about five minutes, wasn't it? Before I went to preach. Had my big suit on. I didn't wear a tie. that You know, because I was trying to be modern. Didn't wear a tie. And then the mother of all gnats <laughs> landed on my shirt. I mean, this is like the big Bertha. And I thought, baby, I got one. And that thing busted like a tick on a dog all over my shirt. Brian, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Three minutes before I take the platform. Of course, Kate runs over because she knows that I'm going to be a mess. She grabs stuff and she starts blotting away. And I thought, my goodness, she's making it worse. What are you doing? And there's this spot about the size of a quarter. Now, you know how little one that is. Why is there a spot the size of a quarter, a stain on my shirt? You ever been stained? Well, that brings me to another point. This 
beautiful suit that I'm wearing. This is my favorite suit. Mark, God knows when I put this thing on, I thought, boy, look at that fat baby boy in the mirror. <laughs> Maybe I was prideful. And it, listen, I wore a suit everywhere I went. And one day I got bleach. Now, you can't see it because I've done my best to blot it out. Right there on the shoulder. Well, everybody's looking for the stain now. If you get up close and personal with me, you'll see there's a huge stain on the, the shoulder of my favorite suit. I was devastated. I took my bed for a week. I called off work. I didn't want to do anything because I could not believe that God would allow there to be a stain on my shirt. On my suit coat. Furious. All of us live stained lives. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Let me ask you a question. When you walk in to a room and you got a stain on your shirt, I don't care if you're dressed to the nines. What do people see? As a matter of fact, people will say, and if Cliff was here, I want to kill him every Sunday morning. He always tries to fix me. But what they do is, and Cliff's done it to me multiple times, he'll go, there's something on your shirt. It don't matter how you're dressed, how you look, what's going on, there is something on your shirt, and the first thing that people see is the stain. No matter what happens. That's Satan's way, hear me well, of trying to keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. See, I shouldn't have wore this suit today because it's got a stain. And you could have missed the whole part of the message, and maybe you're missing it now because all you're thinking about is, I want to see the stain on that shoulder. <laughs> We're all stained. We're all messed up. We're all like the Good Samaritan. He was somebody that would have, listen, he was the last person on earth that should have came into that story to help that man. Do you know when a doctor goes in to an operating room, a surgeon, he walks into a place that decontaminates his body first. He takes off all of his clothes. He puts on scrubs that the, that the hospital have provided because they do their best to keep every piece of bacteria away from that patient. He walks into a surgical place where he begins a three to five minute hand washing technique. Now we call that germs. If you go into a laboratory, they call it a gram stain. And so the germ, the reason that he wants to get the germs off his hands, and he begins to, and I've seen this multiple times in surgery, he begins to wash his fingers. And he'll wash his hands. And he washes every finger a certain amount of seconds. And then he takes this scrub brush that they have given him. By the way, I've got some at my house that are the greatest things. And he, begin to, he begins to scrub his fingernails because the part of the hand that's the worst is the fingernails. To get rid of the stains that are on his hand. Why? Because he is there to fix them. If he goes and introduces this germ, this stain into the body, then he's defeating the purpose because he's causing another infection. He is there to help them. He's not here to make the problem worse. And so what I want you to understand is, <coughs> Jesus Christ came 
to a stained people. He became the master surgeon so that he could clean you up. So that he could move on you. Oh. <coughs> so that he could motivate you. So that he could, listen, not introduce new stains into the world. This world is dying. This world is a sick patient. What I want you to understand is this, is the Holy Ghost ICU for the lost, the broken, the weak, the weary, the stray. And what I can't get us to understand is that he made you a spiritual surgeon so that you could take the stains out of your life because there's going to be someone that comes through that back door that needs Jesus Christ and he does not need you introducing more sin, more germs, more stain to their life because he wants you to help them, heal them, bless them and he has brought them to us. You understand that? And so he says... religion undefiled before God the father that is to visit the fatherless the widowers and their, their affliction and to keep himself unspotted un unspotted in the world the word unspotted literally means to be stained he says keep your life unstained you may have been stained before and I don't want you to forget your stain I don't want you to forget your problem he says I don't want the world rubbing off on you when you're supposed to be rubbing off on the world the great biblical understanding of this is lot the Bible says that my buddy Lot loved Sodom and Gomorrah. He loved it. It was the, the cultural place of the day. It was a cultural playground. He loved everything about it. He loved the atmosphere. But how many people understand, that? and I'm going to preach a whole series about this. I just know it because I love it. And God put it in my spirit. How many people understand that you will never change your altitude when you love your atmosphere? Well, pastor, I don't understand. Let me give you an understanding. Abraham and Lot were together. The Bible says that Abraham loved the Lord with everything that he was. Does all agree? But these both, both of these men became prosperous they became wealthy. But the Bible says that they, were, they had two different altitudes. Lot loved the atmosphere that he was in. He loved it. He loved the world. But Abraham did everything that he could to gain the sensitivity of his Lord. His heart was the Lord. It's a biblical principle, really. The Bible says where a man's heart is. Where a man's heart is. It's a, it's a biblical principle. Is the thing that you love. 
Well, pastor, I don't understand what you're saying. Let me be blunt. You come to church on Sunday morning and don't darken the doors for another week or two. And you tell me that you follow the biblical reality of Christ. I don't think so. Because what a man loves, he will do. As a man seeketh, the Bible says, whatever he seeketh is in his heart. So, what I want you to understand is, when you come to church for two hours on Sunday, then you leave and the rest of your week is dedicated to the world, you probably have an altitude or an atmosphere for worldly things. But when you come and your life is dedicated to the house of God, I don't mean that you need to be here every time the doors are open, but I do mean that you, 90% of the time you need to be here. And if this is not the place that you want to be, my heart seeketh whom my soul loveth. Then you've got a love problem. And your atmosphere dictates your altitude. Well, what are you saying? Let's talk about altitude just for a second. Do you understand that larger planes can fly higher? A jumper jet flies at 12,000 feet roughly. That holds about 15 people. A larger plane that holds 75 or 80 people, it, it, it will fly to 20,000 feet. The great big southwest plane that you get on when you go on vacation, it holds about two or 300 people. It flies and soars at 30,000 feet. Your altitude, your atmosphere dictates your altitude. What are you saying? Because a smaller plane is not built to withstand 30,000 feet. So it won't fly at 30,000 feet. Lot never built his life to fly, to soar in the heights like Abraham. We find that God gave Abraham the covenant. Many people say that Abraham was a friend of God. Because Abraham's life was built with the sensitivity of Jesus Christ in mind. Was Abraham stained? Absolutely. Abraham was the guy that said, this lady right here is my sister. So that the men could come in with her. And when the man went into her, the Bible says that God quickened him and said, that is that man's wife. So Abraham had stains. Abraham had issues, but nothing like Lot. Listen. Abraham's heart was dedicated to the Lord. Lot's heart was in love with the atmosphere, the culture, and the surroundings. I'm going to read you my notes. Lot became contaminated by his atmosphere in Sodom. Even though Lot didn't lose his personal faith, Lot lost his family. He also lost everything that God had gave him in that place. Amen? What it means is simple. Whatever that is stained causes you to lose eternal value. Pastor, it sounds like you don't want me to have fun. God doesn't mind you 
enjoying the world. God's put good things before you to enjoy. But he doesn't expect you to be part of the world. He expects you to fly with an altitude above the world. Be in the world and not part of the world, the Bible says. Amen? And so if we can get a hold of these facts, God doesn't mind you enjoying what he made. When what he made to enjoy is good. Amen? But what we do is we taint what is good with evil and then we feel okay with that. I've got to let you go. Lord, help me here. Religion. Stains. Being unable to live our life the way that God wants us to live. Going in to the church to punch your ticket. Praying once or twice a week when you get in trouble. Never helping anybody that can't help you in return. Living your life in a choice to be stained. Think about that. That's religion. God said he wants us pure. He wants us to reach out to people that can't help us back. He wants us to reach out to the stained. He wants us to show them that there's a way to get a magic eraser. Amen? It's the magic eraser of heaven. Listen, some people, let me just give it to you right now, and then I'll let you go home. Brian, you can go ahead and come to the pen. When, when, when you get the magic eraser, you begin to, you got stains on your walls or stains, you get out the magic eraser, and what do women do, boy? They will scrub the walls down. Okay, it'll scrub like a crazy person, getting all the scratches and stains off the wall. But some of you in your life, you're scrubbing with every chemical that you know that, that, to help you, and it's not working. Your issue, your problem, your sin, your stain, all it does is seem to get bigger. And here's what I want you to understand. The stain can get so big that the shirt is worthless. you got to throw it out. But Jesus Christ came to be the magic eraser of heaven. Your stain is not too big for the master. Your stain is not too big for the surgeon. Your stain is not an issue. And listen, I declare today that we in this place are not going to have religion. We're not going to be religious. However, I'm okay with the word. Because I want a religion that stands for the little guy. I, I want a religion that helps the lost. I want a religion that helps the broke. I want a religion that takes care of the weak and the needy and, and the unprosperous. I want a religion that will help the person that can't help themselves. That's what we stand for here. For too long in the church, the church has wanted everything from everybody why don't we stand on our own two legs and say, we're not taking anything from you. We want to give back to you. Amen? 
That's what we stand on. That's what I stand on as a pastor. That's what your council stands on. That's what your leadership stands on. And that is why God is building a church in MacArthur. Amen? Everybody stand with me. I have so much to tell you, but I've got to let you go. If you're that religious person today, today's the day to say, God, I'm not going to be religious anymore. I want religion. I'm okay to talk about my religion. But I want to be sold out to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me put it to you this way. I want to be stained with the blood of Christ. I don't want to be stained with the sins of the world. I want to be stained with the blood of Christ. But here's the great thing about the blood. When you apply the blood, the Bible says it washes. (laughs) Lord, help me today. Your sins away. It's the blood that cleanses the soul. It's the blood that makes a man whole. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. That blood came from our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He wants to transform you. He wants to mold you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to heal Greg Covey. He wants to bless you. He wants to prosper your life. But we have to be disciples. We have to stand and learn what God wants us to do. And we can't go on until we apply the blood to our religion, to our messed up souls. Listen, when you apply the blood, you're going to say to your wife, I'm not going to aggravate you today. I'm not going to run my mouth to you today. I'm not going to put you down today. Instead, I'm going to lift you up. When you apply the blood, you'll lift up your children. When you apply the blood, your life will change. When you apply the blood, your coworkers will see you different. If you can't be the same in church that you are at home, you haven't applied the blood. Thank you for joining us today. If this message has uplifted you, we would love to hear your story. Go to www.renovatelifecog.com and click contact. Your testimonies are a blessing to us throughout the week. Renovate Life is a place of healing for the lost, the broken, the weak, weary, and stray.